sometimes I just want to let that music run a little bit longer so people are like in their cars listening going, where the hell are these two? Did he did he screw the edit up? Like, what's the problem? Hey, everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Brimmore, presented by Bike911.com. You need some legal advice, call our boy Alessandro Gramini. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. No, it's Alessandro Gramini. Where, he won Road America, didn't he, Gramini? He did. In the rain. On a Ducati. Fast by Farage, right? I think. Or was yeah. it a was it a Farage bike? Or it was, was a it a Farage Vance bike, and Hines yeah. bike? Yeah. No, it was Farage. No. Yeah. Alex Asante, bike911.com. Check him out. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jason Pridmore. We're going to be talking about MotoGP UK, Arai News. You want to support the channel, patreon.com slash TV. It's in the description of this podcast, no matter where you're listening to it. And uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, blah, 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 blah. So, JP, what's new in your world? Did you did you watch all of the MotoGP fanaticism? I had a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it all. I watched it all on the weekend. I watched it all, and then our boy Steve English got me sorted with a, with a website to go to for uh, the Suzuka 8-hour. What? Yeah, I, I watched. That link. Well, it's yeah. I had to end up paying for it at the end of the day. It was like five bucks a month or something, and so I'll cancel oh, it now. Right. But like motorsport.com or something. But I ended up, uh, yeah, I had a big week this last week. Um, kind go of often? Tur- Were you yeah, go big often? tournament. We had a big tournament, and then and then I came home <clears throat> Saturday night. Watched. I think I got into the eight hour about an hour into it. And I watched it till about midnight and then saved it and watched the rest of it the next day. Got to say the eight hours lost a little bit of its luster. Like there wasn't, it wasn't headlined by big name teams and that kind of stuff anymore. I mean, Kawasaki obviously had a Johnny Ray and Haslam and Alex Lowe's. But when you look at uh, how the eight hour used to be, where there were literally factory teams from every single manufacturer out there. And uh, it just didn't seem like the field the depth of the field was as big as it has been in years and years past, you know? That's the I first mean, time they've had the Moto, eight hours Moto since GP, 19. MotoGP and World Superbike would schedule around it, too, so their riders were available. Correct. And I just think that, yeah, like, I don't know, MotoGP break is just a little bit too early. But even that, though, like, there wasn't that, I mean, there was only Lowe's and Ray were really the only two World Superbike guys. Eka Lekawona was there, but, you know, I know Dami Agurta has been running that race for the last few years with a Honda team. There were just teams that were missing from the race that I remember seeing in the past that um, there's certain numbers that the Japanese have as far as their motorcycle numbers go over there that every year they're in the eight hour and they weren't there this year. And so uh. the eight hour just, it was literally, it was pretty boring to be honest with you. It wasn't as good as it has been. And I know we're going to get talking to it about it here in the news in a minute, but the factory Honda was just head and shoulders above everything else. It was quite a, quite a bit faster than everything. Like by we'll just, 18, talk, we'll just talk about 18K, it now, and I'll just so, do the yeah. I'll do the other stuff at the end of news. But so yeah. you know, the, so the eight hour happens, and and HRC wins it um, with Tetsuda Nagashima and Takumi Takahashi, Takahashi and and yeah. Iker Likawona. Um and they won it a whole lap ahead of. But Jay, so there was. A couple hours into it, I was following it actually on um, Crash.net. They had uh, they had updates. Dude, or something? Cy- Cycle News used to call it Virtual Grandstand. Okay, my ex-wife used to do it, and this was back in '98, '99, whatever. My ex-wife would do it, 
go to a race and you would type in what's going on and you could just hit refresh and it would, you know, nowadays, obviously it automatically refreshes. So yeah. it was text, it was text, but the person who was doing it for crash.net was basically just doing these updates and stuff. So I'm watching it. That Those were the screen grabs that I sent you, which was, wait a second, a pace car comes out and Cowie gets hosed and they lost like a minute something. Explain that situation, like what happened and then so, how that happens in world endurance stuff. In, in all the endurance races, there's two pace cars. So there'll be one around, you know, there'll be one car at pit, pit out and then there'll be another car midway around the track. It happens in all the eight hours, all of them. And so what happens is if a red flag comes or, you know, if there's a red flag situation or a pace car situation, two cars get put out onto the racetrack in two separate spots. So if you fall, let's say that you have a three minute lap or two minute, two and a half minute lap and you fall half that, half that time behind the leader, there's a good chance that when the pace car comes out, you're going to get, you're not going to get stuck behind the same pace car that the leader could be behind. That's what happened here. You know, Suzuka is a very, very long circuit. I'm trying to think where the second pace car gets put out there. Cause you know, I've raced there a bunch of times, but I think the second pace car comes out somewhere in and around the chicane and, uh, the first chicane and, um, and anyways, so that's what it ended up happening. Honda had such a big lead that when the pace car had to come out, uh, Cowie got stuck behind the second pace car, not the first one. So automatically they were like half a lap behind when the race restarted. And whatever whatever the pace the pace car goes is the pace the pace car goes. Right? Yeah, because so they, they, the... they time it to where they're going the exact same speed. In oh, fact, okay. I remember telling you one time about a race I did in uh, Albacete, Spain, where they had a huge crash in the pouring rain that put oil all over the track. It was an hour and a half pace car. I followed. I remember that story. There, yep. There were two pace cars, right? And Steve Plater at the time was leading and I was second. So I was following him and I was right, literally right behind him. And the pace car in front of us actually spun out because it was so, it was so wet. Yeah. And, and so we didn't know what to do because pace car just spun out in front of us. So, um, right now yeah. you don't have a pace car cause they're, yeah, they're off so the we were pacing it until the pace car, turned itself around and came back and got up in front of us again because there's two pace cars going around all the time and they're pacing each other. So they're in constant contact with each other. Like, Oh, where are you at? I'm here. I'm you know, whatever. And, uh, and that's what ended up happening. Ultimately, I don't think it mattered. I saw, I saw where, um, Rhoda came out the, the actual team boss for Kawasaki basically came out and talked about how the pace car kind of ruined the race. But look, if, I mean, Greg, you, you didn't get to see the race, but the Honda was like 18k quicker down the straights or something like Whoa. that than anything. It was like it was Whoa. a big deal. It was a big deal, and so yeah, I don't think that they would have had anything for them, anyways. To be fair, well, our boy Johnny and, and his team they finished second, and then Yosh Cert finishes third on their way out of World Endurance because there is no more Yoshimura Cert. Suzuki endurance race team, I believe. Right. So, but they're hoping that uh, shirt is going to come back They're They're apparently, you know, cause endurance racing in France is the French love their endurance racing. That's the basis of it. So cert has been around for a zillion years. Suzuki endurance racing mm-hmm. team They're You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do something. So the guy who ended up, you had Watanabe on the Yosh bike and you had Greg black, Greg black, when I was finishing up my world endurance stuff, probably like 2000, 
10, 11, 12. Greg Black was a teammate of mine. He was a kid. And now he's retiring. You know, he's, 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 is he really? Yeah. He's won world championships for him and stuff. Great guy. Uh, he actually went to, he actually went to Suzuka on a managerial type of role. But then when, um, Xavier Simeon got hurt or sick and then he got sick, he got COVID and then Gintley ended up falling and breaking his hand. So Mm -hmm. Greg Black got drafted in to ride again. So he ended up, yeah, he ended up third and, um, but yeah, the race, the race itself, I, you know, like I said, it was pretty boring. Our boy, Steve English though, he was commentating, which was great because you know, he's always got good info. So just kind of seeing what that was all about. Kawasaki was really the only team that put huge time. I mean, I say that Yart did as well. Yosh probably did as well, but I'm saying like back in the day, there were multiple riders, multiple, multiple, multiple riders that were testing a lot before the eight hour. And in this one, I know Johnny and Alex and, and Leon, Leon did a lot of the work in the lead up to the eight hour, him and Alex did. And then from what I understand, I know Johnny went and tested, but I think, uh, yeah, anyways, it, it's not, it's not like what it used to be. It didn't seem like it was this year to me anyways. Hmm. It's a spectacle. Um, G-Dub. All right, let's... It's a spectacle. Eight hours. Amazing. Yeah. 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 You are a testicle. I'm sorry. Yeah, is that you. what you said? That it kind of broke mm, yeah, up a little something, bit. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. um, Hey, let's talk MotoGP for a minute because news, news broke that Alicia Spargo rode with a broken foot. Mm-hmm. Um, no shit, right? Actually, I mean, did you see actually, the wasn't, actually, wasn't it his, I heard it was his heel, which I know it's yeah, your it's foot, heel, but, but, but yeah. the heel dude is like, when you think about breaking a foot, you're thinking about the bones on the top of your feet and you know, all those, no, when you break your heel, the impact it takes to break a heel is severe. I've broken a heel, sadly, as you can probably imagine. And, <laughs> and it sucks. G-Dub, it sucks because a different kind of pain that goes through your foot than when you just break bones in your foot i've broken those small bones in my feet as well and a heel the impact that it takes to break that i think my biggest question is when was the last time that we've seen a rider get high sighted in a third gear turn like that one the speed that he was going that was a vicious fast high side and why we haven't really heard of why, you know, I, I, unless you have, I haven't actually heard a reason of what maybe had happened or why it had happened. I know they're always going That's on. That's probably on my about. biggest thing about the crash is what, are you kidding me? Like the electronics yeah, yeah. should have saved that crash in particular. There Especially are in that, that kind of late... corner, Greg, right? Especially in that yes. kind of turn. It's a third gear. It looks like it's a third gear. Judging by the sound of the motorcycle, it's way above mid RPMs. So it's definitely in the higher RPM range. And it was very late in the corner where it spit him off. Like it, it spit him off very, very late. But for him to get high sided, those are the kind of crashes that we've seen people kind of get high sided off the inside of the bike when a bike snaps around like that. But that bike snapped around so far that it high sided him. And I never really heard a clear, unless you have, I never really heard a clear indication of why. No. And the thing is, I've been kind of waiting for it. I haven't been on the search for it. But I was right. waiting for the team to apologize to him to say, ALH, you know, listen, the sensor failed or something. Something. And, you know, it's something happened, like some, but it, but what I was saying earlier about no shit, he, he was racing on a broken foot. Like 
if you saw that crash and the way he was limping around and they're saying, no, he doesn't have anything broken. I'm like, bull crap. He doesn't yeah. have anything broken. Something's broken. His heel, obviously that makes sense. And I don't yeah. know how you ride with a broken heel. You know, if it's, if it, there's a way that you can, you know, if it's because your heel doesn't really touch anything, is it affected? Yeah. Is yeah. It no, you're, you're it on a, the balls of your feet more. You know, well, you know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But is the heel injury exactly more of a right. pressure thing? You know what I mean? Like if it, if you like step on the heel, is it, or is it's it just one of those hurt that, the foot in general? It's one of those things where walking will be way harder for him than riding. Mm. You know, you're still going to deal with it. You're still, it's, it's one of those things too, where adrenaline still played into the fact, I think had the accident happened on Friday and then he had to race on Sunday, it might've been a little bit more difficult for him. But the fact that the race happened sort of Saturday afternoon, he got on the bike, did his qualifying. And then Sunday he kind of had to gut it out and rode really well, by the way. Uh, I think they said it was the, one of the closest as far as fields at the end of the, of the end of a race, like the top first, 10, the second, the second closest like top 10 points, field in history, like 6.6 seconds separated them. And I mean, Alessi even took a nibble at the end of the race there on Quattararo with two or three corners to go. So, I mean, yeah, the guy rode amazing. Uh, it goes to show where our level of safety equipment is that he was able to just jump up, pretty much jump up and, not have a collarbone or a shoulder or something screwed up. I thought was great. That is true. Uh, MotoGP testing calendar is out. And for those who want to look ahead a little bit, maybe mark some stuff in your preseason calendar. I know, you know, I, I, I never let my MotoGP like pass video pass, like lag at all. But um, I know that some of the teams were hoping that they weren't going to go to Sepang me uh, being that the season doesn't start fly away or whatever, but they're going. So in February, they're going to be going to Sepang. And it's kind of like one of those deals where the, those, the test riders and the rookies in MotoGP get to do those couple extra days before, the 5th and the 7th of February. Then there's a couple days break. And then the 10th through the 12th is when you know everybody else shows up. And then they are going to test at Portimao, which is where the season opens up this year, uh, on the 11th and 12th of March. And so the, the preseason for Moto2 and Moto3, which we expect to see, Joe Roberts in there, and we expect to see Bobier there, and of course, um, Sean Dillon Kelly will still be in Moto Two. Uh, they're going to take that'll be Portimao on the seventeenth and nineteenth of March. So, Jason, hey, real quick, one more thing. Going back to Suzuka, GW and I both. I know, uh, I know, GW would say this anyways, but sending our best wishes to Gino Ria. Um, oh got, yeah, of course. He got in such a big crash, and from what I'm reading. Um, just some of the stuff I've been reading and some of the stuff I've been hearing, uh, it sounds like he's improving a little bit. I, I know that he went in, I think he went into a coma and, but it sounded like they were going to take him off the uh, machine to help him breathe because he was breathing on his own. And then there were some things there. And I saw that his family had put out a uh, press release today saying he's a strong kid and he's going to continue to improve. Um, it's, you know, Greg, it happened in the same, same chicane that we lost uh, Desiree Cato in. Um, a number of years back, what's really bizarre to me is I'd love to, I'd love to, I, I don't want to say I love it. I, I wouldn't love to see it. I want to know where I'm very curious of how the incident happened or what he hit or what happened there. And I haven't got any information on that, but, um, obviously all our thoughts and stuff are, are with Gino and his, and his family. Hopefully he gets better. Don't like yep. seeing that. No, not at all. So there's your news presented by a ride. Yeah. We're doing a little different this time. 
And you know, Jason, for three generations, Arai has been making some of the world's best helmets. And of course, Arai helmets meet all safety standards, but they also pride themselves in a blend of engineering tech and human craftsmanship. That makes an Arai helmet fit better and feel better, which also protects you better. Your head's worth it, people. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Visit AraiAmericas.com for more information on tech, fit, and paint jobs. AraiAmericas.com, because you owe it to you. Should I? I wonder if I could tell people about my new helmet that's coming that I'm very excited about. Well, Should why don't I? you tell them next week after you find out if you can or not? Okay, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. So there you go. There's your news presented by Arai, people. Well, Greg and I have already started touch ba- touching in on the fact that the MotoGP race was at Silverstone. Greg, I will tell you this over the three classes, man. Silverstone just went straight to the head of the field as far as close racing goes. All three races were insane. I saw your tweet about the Moto3 race, ah. about how your heart ain't going to be able to take it. Um, you're just kind of... Jason, That that yeah. I did that. I did that tweet after five laps. I didn't know, I know. it was going to go the way it went. <laughs> insane. Cri- I mean, just, crikey, bro. It was nuts. Again, again, if you don't watch Moto3 you're not a fan. You're doing yourself a huge disservice if you don't watch Moto3. It is too good not to watch. You know, Greg, for no other reason, the best part that I watch it now is because these are the guys that are going to MotoGP. You know, we're getting to watch people progress and move along. And, man, it's it's cool now to be able to talk about, like, the Brad Benders and and guys like that, Oliveira and Bastianini, all the guys that we've seen in Moto3 move forward. And they're in MotoGP now, so it's kind of fun. MotoGP race, Greg. Man, it looks like we might have a championship back on our hands. Um, Bagnaya goes on to win this race by just under half sec, under half second over Vinales. Which, man, you can say what you want about Maverick Vinales as far as might be a little bit of a cuckoo clock, but the guy he's found a home he's there back. and he seems pretty stoked at Aprilia. And we'll get into some of the things. I'll go through the top the point scores here. And we'll get into a talking about clock. some of these guys. You know, Dude, that guys. is the great. I had not heard you ever say that before. That is so good. A cuckoo yeah, clock. Yeah, it might be a bit. Well, you know, people that, you know, again, I'm saying you're not a fan if you don't watch Moto3. I haven't got to watch all the MotoGP thing on Netflix or Amazon or wherever it is. And people talk about kind of what a kind of a, a whack job Vinales is in that. But Jack Miller, third. Great run from Jack. Super pumped to see the. Motivation is still high for that guy, even though he's going on to a different team this year. I always wonder how that would be, knowing halfway through your season that you're already out of the team that you're on. But Jack just gives it everything he has. So Bastianini and Martin, this is going to be a fun one for watch because really it's come down to those two guys for that second seat at the factory next year, whoever's going to take Jack Miller's spot. And they have Bastianini worked Martin over on the last lap to steal that spot. Came all the way from way back after losing a wing and all that. Martin ended up fifth. Miguel Oliveira, Greg, 2.7 seconds. Really impressive stuff from him. Renz, seventh. A little bit disappointing, I'd have to say. I thought for a minute there, G-Dub, it looked like he was going to run away, and I was going to have to have have to hear you listen about my man crush on Alex Renz. <laughs> That's so, what I was thinking. <clears throat> exactly I what I was thinking when I saw that happen. Quattararo, eighth. You know, that ride through that we'll talk, or not ride through, but the long lap thing that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a minute. Uh, really did seem to affect him. Alation's up ninth, uh, only 6.6 seconds back, like you had said. Um, or he was only three point. He was only 3.9 back. Tenth was Bedzeki at 6.6. 6. 
Brad Bender, who was moving forward but just couldn't quite find that pace, he ends up 11th over Luca Marini. Nakagami was the best of the Hondas, 13.7 back the over Paul. of the Hondas. It's insane, right? I don't even know what to what, say about that. What it's is happening? What's the first? Ja- what's the first Japanese uh, m- motorcycle that finished? Quart, right? Um, you know, wow, that's a good one. I uh, would right? it be it's Rins? like Italian, Rins. Italian, Italian, Rins. Italian, Rins. Austrian, seventh. Italian. Rins. Rins in seventh. Suzuki. Rins in seventh. Yeah, three seconds back, but. Paul Spargo ends up 14th, who just seems – I mean, I, you can't say the guy's unmotivated. I mean, but – because there's no – it's not like there's another Honda eight seconds up the road from him. He finishes literally right on the back end of Nakagami, who was desperate for any kind of result was Nakagami. And then Morbidelli ends up 15th. Non-finishers, G-Dub. Juan Zarco gets pole position, ends up crashing. He was wide. There was no question he was wide in that left-hander when he fell. He was four feet off the apex. He gets in there deep, loses the front, crashes. I don't know if Zarko will ever win a race. Kind of got to hope that he does. He's kind of getting that that fastest guy ever to not win a race mantra thing going. But he ends up uh, setting a new lap record in pole and when he gets his pole position. And then Juan Mirji, Deb, his just misery of a season continues. Um, Biggest takeaways. Well, I think points. And I, the way I look at it, Greg, points in the upcoming races that are coming up, when you hear what um, oh, when you hear what Quattararo had to say after the race, surprising he, actually. Yeah, he's he is really worried about Bagnaya because he's coming into some tracks that he thinks that the Ducati has a big advantage on. And look at Austria, um, Aragon. There are places where Quattararo, when he did his after race interview, he looked genuinely concerned. I mean, Bagnaya looks just looks so good, and he controlled that race once he was able to get by uh, Rins. And um, and man, I tell you, G Dub, you have a couple more races like this where Bagnaya wins and Quattro finishes seventh or eighth. All of a sudden, it's a championship's right right between those two guys. And of course, you got a lace smashed in the middle of them. It was kind of like I talked about before. It almost seems like your qualifying position is. It's just so crucial. It is for, obviously, the Yamaha. And it's a combination of things now for Quartararo. It is what we talked about many year, for years, Jason, that the Yamaha needs a clear track to flow through the lines that he needs to do the lap time because he can't do it, stop and shoot, you know, stop, point, and shoot like you can with, with the Ducati. But then, you know, now you're bringing in the fact that he's stuck behind people and his front tire's overheating, and that makes the Yamaha even more sensitive to not being able to to use the lines and everything. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see this championship go down to it because I think it will. I don't think that Bagnaya is over making mistakes yet. I think he's still got one or two in the bag where he's going to lead and he's going to tuck the front. Something crazy is going to happen. So I think that there's a lot in store for the championship, and that's great. But my takeaway, Jason, is how, and I hate to say this, it just drives me crazy. I'm going to say this. Your boy Rins was on another planet dude he was he was unbelievable he looked good didn't he and he's won there before but dude he at full lean angle when other people were had roll speed and were rolling through corners he was accelerating towards them and had to stop Mm -hmm. the problem is is that you know we, we we when you race a motorcycle or you do a track it doesn't matter 
there are always limitations. There's limitations in, in traction on the track. There's limitations on safety in some places, you know, where right, you're not going right, to push right, this hard. Right. I mean, I mean, even Silverstone had places where there was air fence. You know, it's not like MotoGP is completely devoid of that type of stuff. There yep. are limitations on tire life. There are limitations on lean angle. There's all this stuff right, that happens. Right. Rins, man, he... <laughs> You, cause I don't know if you watch some of the extras that MotoGP has, but they have this deal no, where gotta, they keep the camera on it. guys and the yep. unheard deal. So they showing them right before they get on there. And those guys were kind of talking about how, how unreal fast Rins was, but that he ended up broaching his tire and he did. But it always makes me question, okay, so is he much faster in these three sections? Because there were three particular parts of the track where he could just, at full lean, was just on the gas where people were rolling. I'm like, are they not doing it because they're saving tire? Or are they not doing it because they don't see it? They don't, you know what I mean? Like Rins has yep. something a little bit special there. But to me, the most impressive ride, I think, was Rins overall. And then he got the biggest gap of anybody, I think, at one stage of the race. Right. And I, I you know, I thought, had he been able to have a tire underneath him, that was a Rins seven-second race win, in my opinion. I, a lot of the riders talked about afterwards how a lot of the riders took the onus on themselves, too, to say, I made the wrong choice. I made the wrong choice in tire. tire I choice, should have yeah. made it tire choice. So, so, and it was, it's been unseasonably beyond hot over in England right now. My mom's over there, as you know, and it's been super warm over there. So I just think that Rins, he has that ability to look head and shoulders above people. Um, because at the beginning of the race, did you see the start? I mean, the Suzuki's qualified like 11th and 12th or 10th and 11th or something. They were so far back. And Rins was like fourth right off the bat. And then he just starts picking his way through people. And <clears throat> there's a couple things, G-Dub, that I find really interesting. That when we talk about tire life and how the tires overheat behind bikes, and you kind of got to wonder how long that's been going on. Like technology now with electronics and the information they can pull, the data they can pull off of bikes – how long have tires been overheating when following a group of riders or whatever? Right? <laughs> forever, forever. Forever. It's not right? like because you put a it's, sensor in it, all of a sudden it happens. Now correct. the problem is you're over, you're, you're over informationing people. You're giving but, them another thing where they can get in their head and go, oh, you got to keep the tire pressure down. But you've also got to think that the downforce from the wings and stuff like that, that doesn't help the, you know, because it's pushing the tire into the ground even more. So, the thing is, is that you look at some of that stuff and you go, forever, tires have probably been getting heated up. But it really is apparent in MotoGP. And I'm wondering, Greg, if that's more because of the downforce that gets put into these bikes. Because when you look at the beginning of the race, we all knew Quattararo was going to have to come in in the first two or three laps. And to your point, it looked like he had pace over everybody. Like he just needed to you know, he needed to get by guys. He needed that clear track in front of him to kind of let the bike flow and roll. And that's going to be to his detriment this year. If he, and we say that every weekend, if he doesn't get in front, it seems like it's a lot of work, but he has to do that long lap penalty, which we'll get into in a second as well, because that really just disrupted his race. He couldn't go forward at all after that. Like no matter what, it looked like he had pace. Then he does a long lap and it just was like curtains for him at that point. He was either getting stuffed up or he wasn't able to get close enough to guys to do the stuff in himself. So I don't know. It, it's it for Quattro. You definitely think 
man, the, the, you know, he even said wrong tire choice for him. A couple of the boys actually said that. But then you got guys like Enea Bastianini who came from so far back and just charged the whole race. Charged the whole race to fourth place. That's what I'm saying. Right behind people, following them, blah, blah, blah. And big group of following them, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, why is Bastianini ignoring the heat sensor, right? Ignoring the information. Is he just riding it on feel? Or does he have some magical secret sauce we don't know about? It's well, a blend a of nitrogen and <laughs> you know, yeah, and sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know, and, and that's the hardest thing because was it happening? Even say when you were racing superbikes, I mean, yeah. it, it, the the tires were built to work in an optimal range. So downforce Absolutely. or no downforce, my whole idea is as the downforce stuff has now been around multi years, then you have to imagine that Michelin is has is working or has worked on some type of a solution to make it to where it used Correct. to be. I agree. Whether that's construction, well, you think about, compound, you think, you think about nitrogen. Six seven, six, seven, eight rider bike drafts at Daytona. Like you're in the oh, draft yeah, 100%. on a yeah. banking that's generating more heat in the tire than just about anywhere in the world. And so even without downforce, you got to think that the tires are getting pretty gnarly worked heat wise. Um, so there's some thoughts to be said about all that stuff. Now, did, did you watch, uh, just real quick on the yep, tire thing, did yep. you watch any of the practices when Simon was in the booth? Um, a little bit of them, yes. So he talked about his experience. He got to ride the Ducati. I mean, he's ridden, he's ridden the Aprilia. He's ridden the, what else has he ridden? Can't remember. He's ridden the Aprilia. He's ridden the Ducati. Maybe the KTM or something? The KTM. So he's ridden the KTM, the yep. Aprilia. Yeah, all, the, all these companies that are not huge Japanese corporation i'm not gonna ride my bike the bit was is is on the two bikes on the ktm and on the aprilia he rode them on basically super bike kind of spec michelin tires i've told you the story before with bridgestone some years ago and during the crt days i had said um you know to the bridgestone folks that i would like to you know ride those tires because they wouldn't let anybody ride those tires Mm -hmm. because they were very special and the front tire was four inches wide wheel and all this kind of crap and then I was told by the uh, by the Bridgestone guy, he was like, yeah, if you can find a MotoGP bike, we'll let you ride them. So mm-hmm. I went down to Stamboli and I said, can I borrow your bike? And Richard said, of course. So then I went back to Bridgestone and I said, I've got a bike. I mean, this was like within 30 minutes. And he's like, what do you mean? Yeah. Stamboli's going to lend me a CRT. And he's like, well, all right, I'll run it up the flagpole. So it came down to, if you can get within, I think it was two seconds of Josh Hayes' fastest superbike time on a superbike or whatever, we'll let you ride it. So obviously... <laughs> There was no chance there, right? No. But the, no. Are you are you yeah. serious? Yeah, like, no, I was always like could, two two you, point oh you couldn't get two point oh oh five. I don't believe two, it. Yeah. No, it's it's <laughs> I mean, I'll try to convince you next time I'm on the track that it's Maybe true. 12 I know it'll be a hard time. You look at the body position, you look the way I look through the corner. Hey, just, the, the, huh? Yeah, you look great. Yeah. We're gonna get off topic here for a second because you do this to me. During the race, the Suzuka eight-hour Johnny crashed, lost twenty-eight seconds on the ground, and I was thinking, I wonder if Greg would could beat Johnny if Johnny crashed. I wonder if I wonder if Greg could still beat that lap time at the eight-hour. He was on the ground for twenty-eight seconds, but I wonder if you could have like if you. <laughs> oh God! Now we got sound effects. Great, great. Anyways, go on, go on. Two, go back to the two seconds behind Josh Hayes. 
You're anyway, such a all right. Shit. Don't start. You're such a dipshit. Two so what's what? Oh my God. What Simon had said to go back to that. Okay, so the bottom line is, is that Bridgestone, and they're right. I mean, we knew that Bridgestones back in the day, especially the front, had problems with people heating them up. It's where Nicky Hayden was like super strong. He was able to get heat in the tire really quickly. Whatever, whatever. So basically, they were saying like, look, you if you can't go this fast, you can't ride these tires. They're they're too hard. You can't get heat in them. Fair mm. play. Same thing now is holding true for the Michelin tires because what Simon had said was that he wanted the full MotoGP experience and, you know, to set up a motorcycle electronically with Superbike spec or customer-based Michelin tires is different. They had done it on the KTM, so he had a good experience on the KTM because they've actually had that bike, you know, doing multiple things without MotoGP tires. They didn't on the Aprilia. He had to run those specs, so the electronics were off, and they tried their best to try to compensate for it. But when he went to the Ducati, Ducati went to Michelin and they basically had to get special approval to get it done. And that's what allowed him to get the full experience of the electronics were exactly the way that Peco rides it. You know what I mean? The whole thing. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, is that the front tire thing is so specialized and the way you put heat into it and the way that it's built, you can't build one for a point and shoot motorcycle that's also going to be as effective for an inline four cylinder that has to rip around the corners. You know, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same type. It's the same type of rubber. So that's the thing. Like I know that Michelin, and you you look at it and you say, okay, you got to build it for kind of the most the, the most general riding that's done. And most of the stuff we see now is more point and shoot. KTM is uh-huh. more point and shoot, right? The Ducati is more point and shoot. The Aprilia is more point. I mean, the Aprilia rips around corners. They're, they're very balanced, but you know, so anyway, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where you go, we just don't know exactly because we're in the situation that we're in. And I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a rider sees something on the dashboard, either a number or a red indicator or something, and it gets in their head and they just can't push any further. And I think Bastianini just goes, eh, whatever. And yep. he pushes. I think I think if you looked at Bastianini's front tire temperature, if we had access to that, versus his other competitors' front tire temperature, especially when he's in, like you're saying, a five rider draft, that I don't think there's no way it can be any less. So you're going like, okay, well, who's got more balls or who's yeah. paying attention less to that? Well, crap? who's willing to trust feel over a number? Right. I mean, yeah, there, there comes a point where we're in a race. You got to kind of throw a lot of things out and you go, OK, I can look at what my the number uh, or the temperature is telling me. But if it still feels good, I got to push. I got no choice. There's, there's a guy, two guys in front of me. I got to get past. I got to figure it out. If you get a couple of warnings of like, hey, all right, I can visibly see that the temperature is high and I've got a couple of warnings. All right. I got to be a little bit careful. So you got to you got to think about some of that stuff, I suppose, and you got to analyze that. But Anea Bastianini came from a long, 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 long way back to do what he did, which was very impressive. Now, Bagnaia was incredible. Uh, you got to give him all the credit. My rider of the race, without question, was Maverick Vinales. Vinales now, Greg, just seems to be getting a little bit more at home on that Aprilia. All through practices and things, he was quick. He qualified well. Um, and he never was a non-factor in this race in the sense that he was always in the league group. He always was hanging, been able to hang on. And I think, to be honest, my feeling was he hasn't been in that position. I'd, I'd love to see what you think of this. I felt like watching the race that he hadn't been in that position in a long time. And you could see it building up that he was catching Bagnaya. Once he got to second with three to go, he closed that gap pretty quickly. 
And I almost felt like he got a little bit excited or a little bit, what would be the word, impatient. Because I feel like he was so good going into those two very tight, the tight right, tight left hairpins. Um, I almost feel like he showed his cards a little bit too soon in that case. One of the commentators even said that. Like, I feel like he could have saved that pass for the last lap and maybe done something with Bagnaya, as opposed to doing it with a lap and a half to go. It almost seemed to take all the wind out of his sails when he couldn't hold on to the lead. He led the lead, led the race for about 2.6 seconds, let's say, uh, and Bagnaya went back by him. But it was like at that point then, it almost was like all the air was out of the balloon, and he rode a pretty untidy last lap, even though he was able to get second. You could almost see the dejection in a him pr- after the pretty, interview. A pretty untidy last lap? Yeah, he was running he, wide. He was all over the place. place. He was everywhere. And up until that point, and I think that that just comes from, you know, we can all analyze these guys the mo- most we can. They know themselves better than, than than we do, obviously. But for Vinales, it's been a pretty gnarly last year, and there's been a lot of discussions about him and what his mentality's like, and maybe he's used up. I mean, even the fact that, they signed him again already for next year, I think. Had me even thinking, God, what are they thinking, you know, five races ago. And, man, he, I really felt that race was was his to win with two to go. I thought he's on the back of Bagnaya like that. Like, he caught him so quick. Uh, but then the last lap was just a little bit rough. I mean, winning takes practice. Correct. You know? It does. And he's won you before. Put, like, let's not. Yeah. You know, he's won. But but you know. but but it's been a it's been a minute, right? Like, it's been yeah. long enough where if you're him and you throw a shot at Bagnaya and he gets back, and only he really knows how good that front tire was feeling at that point. Yeah. And I'm not saying he gave up. He didn't give up. But no. But I think. No. I think. Yeah. He he. You know, somebody stuck his stuck their hand in his bag of cookies, and he was like, "Wait, what? what which cookies are dirty now?" Like he mm. he just kind of lost focus. Up front, he seemed a little bit frantic on the last lap. And I just think that he'll learn from it again. You know, he'll learn from that experience again. Like, okay, I'm up front. You know, that that's because that's the kind of thing I was thinking about in the Moto3 race when that one kid who came out of nowhere, um, what's his name? Yep. I think it starts, we'll, we'll look at the results, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually, yep. he led the race. I'm thinking, look, Okay, and it was it was actually good. The commentators were like, "Look, this is this is where he's won. He's won here. He's won there. He's won here before. So he knows how to win races." But you don't go from not winning races in a year and a half, and then you're out or whatever. How long it's been for Vinales? I guess it's really just been a year. And then you yeah. get up front, and you just like everything falls in place, you know. So I, I thought I thought Vinales did a great job. It's two it's two in a row for him, yeah. and I know that people are like, "Good track, blah blah blah." But I think. Anywhere the the Ducati strong, the Aprilia is going to be just as strong. So well, the Aprilia has just really proven to be a, you know, if not, it's very close to being the top bike out there. The, the Ducati still, by the amount of numbers of riders that are up there each week and and week out, the Ducati's still the bike. I mean, you got right now you got Bagnaia Miller, and then you got of course Bastianini and and Martin who have shown that they can win races and have, and then you've got Marini and Bedzecchi who are not that far back, and even Digi Antonio has shown some pace, but you kind of wonder next year with an extra couple of Aprilia's on the grid. I mean, you know, it's so weird to think that we're talking about a championship that was dominated by Japan for so many years with Honda and, and, and Yamaha. And now you've got these European brands. I mean, even the KTM, Oliveira, 2.6 off the win here. They're still a little bit inconsistent, 
but man, next year you're gonna have an extra couple of Aprilias on there, and depending on who they, if if they get Oliveira or someone on that bike, it it's gonna be a weapon. There's a Vinales story that we're gonna find out about, you know, in years to come, and I think part of that story is going to be the knowledge that Vinales brought with him, in terms of getting electronics dialed in and those types of things. You know, not he's not he's not a computer guy. He's not you know an analyst say or an engineer but what he wants out of the motorcycle what he feels out of it i think is might be some of the story that leads to what's also happening you know with Alesh and and being able to get better on that motorcycle but yeah. who knows we'll have to see um, when you yeah when you look at the next three races the reason why quattro is so worked up right now they've got austria on the 21st then they go to Mizano, mm-hmm. which obviously is ducati's headquarters that's where they just had the World Ducati Week and all that. So they've done a ton of time around there as Ducati. And then they go to Aragon, which is, again, another great track for Bagnaya. The next three rounds, I think, are going to be really gnarly for the championship. Um, we've got – what do we got, Greg? we got eight rounds to go. But the next three could be really kind of tells because from that point on, they're all flyaways. They go to Japan. They go to Thailand. They go to Australia. They go to Malaysia, and then they go back to Europe to Valencia at the end of the year. Um, but man, I, it, what looked like could be a bit of a runaway in the sense of the championship. Now it's man. Now it's just down to. I, I think the next three rounds are going to be really, really key, and gotta hope that Alesh. I mean, this would have been a great day for Alesh to get that second, third, fourth place and, and gain those points on Quartararo. That said, had you had told him on Saturday afternoon when he was picking himself up that he was only going to lose a point in the championship, probably would have taken it. I don't think you're wrong on that 100% right, actually. The other thing, too, Jay, is that's so interesting about MotoGP and the way it is now is, you know, like even in Moto America, you, you, have, you have basically top, you have three people, right? You have three people that are, that are fast, and then Matthew Skultz can definitely stick his nose in there and be as fast as anyone if everything's right. But in MotoGP, you have eight or nine people that can put themselves between Peco and, and Quadraro. And that's really more the danger than anything else. I mean, look at, look at where Quadraro finishes, Jay, look at, look at the time difference. So Quadraro ends up 3.8 seconds back, but that's eighth place. A couple of years ago when you had, you know, only three or four people that ran up front, 3.8 seconds, could it even meant second place? It could have even meant third place. Right, right. Yep. That's where this championship to me gets super interesting is the amount of people that can show up and be fast because Oliveira was there this weekend, but next weekend it could be Bender. And then all of a sudden it could be a good Honda track, you know? And then, you know, like it's just, it's so weird as you look back through the field, there's only a couple people that you look at and you go, okay, I can guarantee you that these groups of riders more than likely are going to be at the back of the field. But then you go up to the top 15 Top 14, well, let's see 15 when, like, say, Mir is in the mix and Zarco's in the mix. So top 16, and you're like, yeah, it could definitely happen. Correct. Long lap penalty or not. So let's just say we take away the 1.6 seconds that he loses. So that goes from 3.8 down to uh, 2.2. Mm-hmm. He's still in sixth place. Yeah. 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 So. No, I. it's, it's, it was... It was a, it's a gnarly race and it was a great race. Silverstone, Greg. I'm telling you, I I, oh, I Moto thought, Two though. Christ. Moto Two. Yeah, let's get into that. Let's get it. Let's get into some Moto Two results. I'll give you the results real quick, Greg. Let you do some rundowns on it. But Augusta Fernandez, 
rode really remarkable. He did such a good job. He tailed on the back of Alonzo Lopez, who had qualified eighth, I believe. Lopez went to the front, stayed at the front, was there. I mean, the whole race, Lopez led that race, did a tremendous job, only to get nipped with like two corners to go by Augusto Fernandez. And I mean, Alonzo didn't do anything wrong. He went into, he, he, he got down to the end of that back straightaway, got in that turn tight, but just ever so slightly opened the door. And Augusto Fernandez shoved his way in there. He wins. Uh, Fernandez Lopez, Jake Dixon. Wow. Did he fight for that position too over Agura and Kinnett. Dixon ends up third. Agura fourth. Your guy. Kinnett fifth. Viete. Joe Roberts, who qualified second, ends up seventh in the race. Navarro. Philip Salich. Uh, Bo Schneider, Gonzalez. Arbolino. Uh, Samkat Chantra. Alcoba. And Fermin Aldegar were your top 15 finishers and point scores. Obviously, Greg, we don't hear Cameron Bobier's name in there. He ended up crashing real early, sadly, in the race. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But Augusto Fernandez right now has kind of got that feel that he wants to start taking over this championship. So a couple things. Lopez, and only, what, his like seventh race, I think, in Moto2 on the Boscoscoro chassis. He's only he's the first non-Calix in the top 14. Then the next is Aldegar, who finishes 15th. Yeah. It's amazing. He run a he ran a great race. It looked like and they were trying to get this post race out of him. It looked like he kind of cooked the front tire. Or his front tire just wasn't there at the end. And and yeah. Augusto Fernandez had a little bit more because Lopez was under pressure for many laps. And he had a couple where he's running wide and stuff, but really what a I mean, you can't take one race and say rising star, but this kid looks good. I mean, he looks Greg, really good. Greg, I, I, I want to do a little check-in. We don't have to do it now, but has he – okay, Lopez is the one – They when they fired Fernanda, they put Lopez on, right? Correct. Yeah. Has yep. he really been there for seven rounds already? I didn't yeah. think it was that many. I thought it was like four. Yeah. No, I think it's seven. So is it? I'm just gonna because go they, meant, they mentioned it post race, but hold on, I, mean, I, okay. I literally can check. I can check. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. I mean, he's done, he's done amazing. I mean, he's no, done you're right. Amazing. You're right. You're you're wait, Moto two, yeah. So he did. Sorry, he's done six. He's done six, six in okay. yeah, you're right. You're close. You said seven. Yeah. So was, that's pretty close. Um, but and but, I didn't but, realize. But, but think, won think like about 48 this. Forty-eight races in a row. I, I saw, I'm like, 48 races in a row, Calyx, Calyx has won. Calyx, yeah. With that, yeah Calyx 40. with their chassis. It's, that's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So the fact that this, this other manufacturer almost won one. So, so here's, here's the Lopez stats, okay? 2018 Moto3, 18 races. Only, he's, he's 23rd in the championship. 19 Moto3, by the way, Honda, Honda, 18 and 19. 19 GP races, he finished 17th in the championship. <laughs> He goes to Moto3 on Husqvarna in 2020, 14 races, 23rd in the championship. He rode Moto2 four, only four races last year. And wow. he rode it on a Bosco Cor, a Bos, Boscos Coro. Boscos Coro, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he finishes, he did four races last year, finishes 30th in the championship. That's and now he's done six rounds. races this year. I don't know who they, I don't know who was there last, you know, like who was on last year. I haven't read his bio, but you know how it is, Jay. I mean, it's either going to be a flash well, in the pan for this kid, or all of a sudden he's going to figure some stuff out. So, well, obviously, what's crazy is Aldegar has, since I started touting him how great he was, he's kind of gone backwards. And <laughs> curse, but him. he's a kid. He's seventeen. I mean, a seventeen-year-old kid who's been up at the front. 
And I think there's, he had some incidents and some crashes and, you know, but I mean, look, this kid rode amazing, didn't he? The whole race. I, it looked like he was trying to get away, but like with all the racing on the weekend, it was close at the front all weekend long. It was. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Fernandez you're right in saying Fernandez. Through, huh? yeah. yeah. Fernandez, absolutely. He's next level right now. There's without question. He's a taller rider. You could just kind of see like this kid needs to go to MotoGP, right? Like he's, it, it's a very logical step. I really enjoy his post-race press conferences. He's very thoughtful. He's, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's, he's got a swagger about him. He's not, he doesn't really carry an ego with him either. And I think it's, it's just, it's good. I like Fernandez. I'm now a fan of his, the way that he worked his way through the field. What, he didn't bully his way through the field. He was kind of methodical about it. Yeah. Even yeah. the pass he put on Alonzo Lopez was risky. It looked risky. He really got positioned on him side by side. And then Lopez just had to get on the lever a little bit more, but it wasn't like a, it was just a good, thoughtful pass. And so I, I'm really impressed with what's going on with, with Fernandez right now. Yeah. The Jake Dixon, Jake Dixon, Iagura battle with Kinnett and stuff. That was, it, the whole thing was really entertaining. I mean, it was just such a good Moto2 race. And when you know that they barely have any electronics, they don't have any traction control, all that stuff, and tires are wearing out and all that, you know, you just kind of get that feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to to find the press release that American Racing put out about Cameron's experience because, you know, Cameron had gotten he he never really put a lap together all weekend. And you know, yeah. like his best his best lap was half a second quicker and stuff. Yeah. And you know, when Cameron says stuff, I I tend to believe it because I've known him long enough where he's not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. And he was moving forward. He was moving forward pretty rapidly. And then there was just a, uh, he, he lost the front trying to make a, a pass when somebody made a mistake. I think it was for sixth place or something. And mm-hmm. Cameron had the pace. It just stinks that, you know, he didn't save that crash when we saw Ayagura save a huge one. Oh my God. So I, and how about Vietti saving one in the long lap penalty as well? Like, that yeah, was the bump, dude, too. that was wow. crazy. Yeah. That was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe the, I, it's, it's, yeah. I, you know, I text somebody during the race. And I said, because I, you know, I remember Cameron coming up through the ranks, obviously in, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, all that. But I'm going to ask you, and I saved this question for you, um, but has Cameron in his, in his career, has he ever really been a crasher? No, not until he got to Moto2. He would throw two or three away a year. Uh, yeah, you know, so, like superbike rise, 20 races, 20 races, all those practices and qualifyings, and he would throw a couple away, just a couple. Yeah, and that's kind of what I remember. I don't really ever remember him. It, it, uh, look, there's something that's happening over there. I don't know what it is. Can't, couldn't tell you, but there's a feel that, that kid can't get right now, and he can't feel something. And every time he gets that little false sense of hope where he starts to like, oh, maybe I can feel this, and then it goes unexpectedly. That is the worst kind of shit that can happen to you as a rider. When I rode for Yosh, it was like that for me. Yoshimura was my dream ride. That was the ride that I had always dreamed of having. And I got there for two <laughs> years, and it was miserable for me. Miserable. Showa. And the reason it was Showa. miserable, the reason it was miserable why. for me was, was, and that could be part of it, but I would end up riding to a pace where I'm like, oh, man, this just feels too good. This is awesome. Everything feels great. I feel like I can push a little bit now. And the second that I would push, not even over any limits or anything like that, I'd end up on my head. And back then, there were always big high sides and things. And I used to sit there, you know, 
picking dirt out of my helmet on the tra- side of the track going, what just happened? Like, as a rider, I think that you develop enough of a feel to realize, hey, I was maybe going over the edge a little bit here, and I kind of got what was coming to me. But there's nothing worse than picking yourself up thinking, I'm not even pushing. Like, I didn't even do anything wrong necessarily. Like, yes, he's pushing. But Cam isn't the kind of guy that's going to continue to make mistakes pushing over a limit and keep having these little low sides happen, right? So it's there's something that is missing in the translation of what feels comfortable, what feels good, and what is actually still underneath you. I can tell you from speaking with Stamboli about it, who is obviously, you know, Cameron was on the team a couple of years, just a couple of years ago, and the stuff that I get from Cameron, it's exactly right. It is grip, grip, grip. Let me back up. Cameron makes a lot of his speed and where Cameron's most talented, if you could break it down into sections, because he's unbelievably talented, but it, where he's most talented is front feel. If you yep. give him front feel, he has the season he has in 2020. Was it 2019? When was the last time he yeah. was here? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, two years yeah. into it. It's 22. So, so yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? 20, yeah. And so the the problem is, is that he he is convinced that you ride a Moto2 bike differently than you ride a super bike. It's more about getting it in the corner, slowing it down, and sh- pointing and shooting a different way. And when he does try to use the front end of that bike, he, he's been getting in trouble. So he's been felt two times since he's been there that he's felt he's figured some stuff out. But in this particular case, this is just an incident where he just lost the front, I think. Like he just I, pushed I get a little that. This is what but but that's one. There's this is the only time. That's why in reading his comments and not having speak, spoken with him, I was like, "Aha." And if you talk to Stamboli today, like I did at the last race and I and we were talking about the distinction between Bobier and Jake Gagne and the way that those two make speed. And he can see in the data that Cam still creates speed differently than Bobier. That, sorry, Bobier creates speed differently than Gagne does. Gagne is definitely more of that guy we're talking about. He's a little bit slower into the corner, gets it turned and up on the meat of the tire quicker, uh-huh. where Cam still was a little bit more flowy. He could, he could get in there a little bit quicker on the front, have more speed on the front, and still be able to get it turned and get it on the meat of the tire. So it's just different in how you do it. And I think yeah. that... After two, after a season and a half, that I think Cameron's figured some things out, but I just think this one crash was just, if he hadn't crashed, right? If he hadn't been having these front end problems, this would have just been like, oh, he tried at sixth, he tucked the front, no big whoop. The other crashes yeah, he's had but, for the but, most part but, have been, I have no feel, I don't know what happened, just like you're talking about. Yeah, but, but, and I agree with yeah, you but. on all that. The thing is, is, is that, you can say that about any rider. Every rider needs front-end feel. There's not too many riders that, that that you will talk to that will say, I don't really need front-end feel to go fast. I can control it through the rear. you, you got to have front-end feel. And with the Moto2 bikes, with the amount of speed, being prototype chassis, the kind of speed that you can carry mid-corner, um, you have to be able to release the lever and get the bike through the middle of the corner. And I feel like I've seen so many mistakes I've seen so many incidents from Cam that he's got a false sense of security built up where it's like, man, everything feels good. Cam's not the kind of guy that's just going to go hairball off into a corner and make a mistake. That's not him. He's very more calculated than that. Like you said, he's an amazing rider. So what 
feel he is getting that he goes, okay, I feel good enough. This thing feels good. And then it just snaps on him. It just goes. There's, there's a false sense of security that he's getting that needs to be sorted and fixed. And that's where I'm getting at with this whole, like, look, there's how many other guys on these Calyx chassis, right? There's a million of them, G-Dub. It's not like he's on a chassis that's so much different than everybody else's that you can go, well, maybe it's because he's on a different chassis. So there's something missing there that they're not finding or he's not finding or they're not helping him find where he can trust that feel that he has without just losing the front. I promise you, if you ask him going into that corner, you know, if you could rewind things and go, okay, two seconds before the front goes, were you thinking that the front was going to go? Was there any indication in your brain that you were going too quick? Was there any indication in your mind that, oh, now I'm in here too deep. There's a good chance I'm going to lose the front. There, there isn't that. He's going in there and trusting his instinct and going, okay, I'm tipping the bike in. I feel great. Bike feels great. Oh my God, I'm on my, I'm on the ground again, sliding along on my, on my leathers. And it's like, there's something there that is missing that, that they've got to find. They got to find somebody that, that when Cameron relays information, this guy can have a different approach or a different feel or a different thought or something a different load on the tire or not as much load on the tire, whatever it is, there's something getting lost in translation there because we've seen this far too often from a guy who doesn't do this stuff. That's my rant. You're right. And, and I, I don't care what you say. Cameron Bobier has proven that he can run up front. He's, he has the ability 100%. to win races in moto two without question. It's it, not none none, none of what I'm saying is a knock on cam. I'm saying that <laughs> right. there's something that is missing there. And and I don't know if it's a team personnel thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm, I am literally just playing devil's advocate and throwing these things out and seeing what it would be really interesting to be in a closed room, locked up, no information's going out of this room, honest discussion with whoever and say, hey, is, is this what it's like? And what is it? What, what crazy setup or difference can we try to make it to where you can trust what you're feeling when you're tipping into a corner. That's all. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, right. It's 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 a mat it's on the team to get the most out of their rider at this point. What do we need to change? What investments do we need, you know, to, to get in there and do and and give you what you need to be more consistent up front and it's a, trust the tire more. It's it's a lot different when you it's a lot different when you have a tip off at Laguna Seca and you drive back to your house that night and go, Man, I wish we could get things better. Because when you're over in Europe I saw the next day he was in London, so I was like pretty stoked to see it. at least he was having a good time. He was, you know, checking out some of the sites and enjoying being part of the world championship and seeing some of the world, which is good. But man, it 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 does wear on you. It really does wear on you. You know, I would go to those races in '99 and 2000, and I'd be thinking to myself, I'd, I'd always go into them with the most positive thing, and it seemed like your post-race debriefs after you had an incident. You still had a debrief, right? You'd still go to the back to the garage and you'd still have a debrief. And you gotta remember, Greg, this this accident happened on what, the second lap, third lap? It was early. Again, tire's brand new. It's not like it's a worn out tire at the end of the race. This is like fourteen laps left, I think, still in the race or something. And this is happening on a brand new tire. So there's obviously something that just isn't quite there, right? And when you're over and you're on the other side of the world and things are as, as it looks grim, it just doesn't look fun. It doesn't look, 
it's a lot harder for, for you to just bounce back and go, well, I'm going to go to Austria without really knowing what happened at Silverstone. The biggest mental challenge he has faced in his race yeah, no without question. question, no question and, about it. And I'm yeah. such a fan of the guy and he's such a good dude. And I, I feel he's better than this. Like I, just like you, I know you, you I, I think you should. I know he's better. I know he's better than that. I a hundred percent know he's better than the results he's getting. I know he is. It, so yeah. you're right. There's a there's a component that's missing. Whether it's confidence, whether it's front end feel, whatever it is, hopefully they start to get it sorted. And you know, yeah. it's like when you get a break, like the summer break, and you come back, it's almost like oh. renewed. And you think, all right, let's just get off on the right foot and see what happens. And you know, he he, you know, in one of the practice sessions, I think it was FP two or something. I was watching, and he goes like P six or P eight or something. But it was like one lap, and you could just tell that there was no real flow to it. You know, um, it's like, just go hang it out until you can try to get in that top 10 so you can get. In yeah. He followed too. somebody too. You know, he followed yeah, somebody to do which the last. He never so. needed that. He never needed no. that. And then no. you look at somebody like Sam Lowe's. I mean, he, same thing month off. I, I talk, I talked to Sam cause he's, he's, he's all buggered up now, you know, and he's got a bad shoulder now. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I was five seconds off the pace. I wasn't even, it's like a second lap. And, but it was cool. It was a very cold or kind of coolish morning. And if you watch that, that first session on Friday, did you see how many crashes there were? There were so many crashes. Uh, no, and, I didn't and get it was to watch like, the session. Yeah, I, I watched. Stinks. I watched some of it, and you know, Sam gets caught out, and you know, again, like you say, you come off a month summer break, and by the the last week before you get back on the bike again, you're in contact with your crew, and they've got an idea, and they've got a thought, and it's all positives, and we're going to go there, and we're going to do great, we're going to have the, and then next thing you know, you know, you crash on the third lap of the race, it's Man, is that discouraging? I I feel discouraged for Cam. I I, yeah. I want to see him. I, I know he's capable of doing what he's doing. Moto three G Dub, amazing <laughs> race. Sorry, sorry, I went on a rant there, brother. That's uh, fine. Yeah, Moto three. Um, I mean, Greg, Jesus, what do you say about this race? It's <laughs> it's it's insane. I saw your tweet about your heart getting ready to explode, and I agree with you. But Dennis Faggio finally wins a race over Jami Masia, Anchu, who ends up third. Toba fourth. I mean, Toba's either like on the deck or he's right there, isn't he? Every weekend, it's one or the other. Nepa, Mariah, uh, McPhee, Yamanaka, uh, Andrea Mino, Tatai, Artigas, uh, Ogden, Felon, Rossi, and Adrian Fernandez round out your top 15. Um, I don't know well, where to Fernandez start with this. Is just lu- Fernandez was really lucky to get a point. Where do you start? You start with Ugh. with four laps. Four laps to go. There's 21 people within three oh seconds. Oh my god! It was this, an absolute freight train. Oh, yeah. it, it the constant as a commentator, the concentration that you would have had to commentate this race and just call the action on the racetrack, let alone be talking about shit that doesn't matter from the past or whatever. Um, to to do that is, I mean, I would have been absolutely dead and the fact that it was the first race of the day i would have been like how am i gonna muster up enough energy with that said i mean there were it, it, how close i don't even know where to begin jay like how well, close like, everybody let's take, was let's, let's take the two teammates okay the two guys leading the championship coming in sergio garcia and guevara they are both in that league group and with three to go sasaki just cleans out garcia just cleaned him out um you know, everybody's trying to vie for position to get into the right spot with what, like two, three laps to go. And, yeah. and Sasaki just completely miscalculates, cleans out Garcia, who is the point leader only then. So then it now it looks like, well, Guevara, 
Guevara's going to be leading the championship. Everything's going to no be great. No problem. No problem. Then he, then he gets taken out. He gets cleaned out. Um, when um, I believe, Greg, it was Artola um, who got into the back of one of the bikes, loses the front, and Guevara's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he ends up getting cleaned out. Munoz, same thing. He gets clean, He's out of the race. Um, so when you look at the championship point standings now, because – this, this title was coming down basically between the two teammates. Now, when you look at it, Garcia still leading it 182 to 179. Faggio wins the race, Greg. He wins the race. He's still 42 points back. That's how big of a lead Garcia and Guevara have on the rest of the field. Um, Faggio kind of, I mean, I guess he kind of puts his hat back in the ring. 42 points down still seems like an awful lot to me. But... Um, I mean, they keep having crazy. races like this. I guess it's not right. Like that's the crazy. But thing. it can happen. But this can happen on any given weekend in Moto Three. These guys are all like McPhee. At one point, was way up there. He ends up finishing seventh. He's less than a second. Greg, the first eight bikes came across the line less than a second apart. Well, the one thing I'm going to say is, and, and you know, Dennis Anjou is a little bit reckless. I got to be no, honest. And the no. fact that he actually, he had, yeah, the, the fact that he finished the race was amazing to me. So if you go back and look at it as I have, mm-hmm. it was Dennis Anjou making a mistake that caused basically uh, Ethan Ortola to hit the back of him, which caused a chain reaction. And then after that, Anjou goes wide, has a mistake, and he's the one who hits Suzuki. And, and yep. crashed Suzuki out of it. Yeah. And I'm like, God. I don't understand. I saw it clear as day and went back and looked at it three times. And I'm like, okay, why isn't race control on this guy again? Because, you know, he's got that whole Safoglu yeah, mentality, can, right? Cannot ba- choose the same in people. super sport. Cannot uh, choose well, the exact same in super sport. Of course he it, is because they're all, insane. they all come from Safoglu's freaking, you know, school of beat each other up, no big deal racing or whatever. And that's what and makes that's what makes Top Rack so amazing, though. Top Rack stuff actually looks, it's it's when Top Rack went underneath Reading again on the with this last race at most, it was still very controlled, very calculated. It didn't look reckless, right? I mean, it didn't look reckless. Yeah. And so Top Rack and and I, Greg, you know what I put that down to? It's just pure bike control. The bike control the Top Rack has is insane. When you watch Canon Chu in Supersport, or you watch. Um, or you watch his brother Dennis. It doesn't look calculated. It's like I'm going to just take this chance and I'm going to just go running off in there and hope it works. And then, yeah. more often times than not, it doesn't. And guys get cleaned out because of it. Yeah, I mean something happened with Anju where you know you're kind of carrying the same speed through the corner, and then he rolled off a little bit. I don't know if he had something planned or I don't know what happened. Yeah, and that's where Ortola got hung out. He was just like, whoa. And that's why I think, anyway, he hit the back because everybody was carrying the same speed except for Anju. I mean, it was one or two, you know, K off or whatever. And then yeah. that second bit, that onboard, you yeah. saw him just careen right into the side of Suzuki and the Suzuki hit the deck. I will say this, though. There are parts of that race where I saw Suzuki for Leopard, you know, uh, yep. Tatsuki Suzuki. And he, he looked like he was playing team favorite. Like he With was Fagia. doing a really good job to try to control the pace for Faggia in that case. Yep. And they were mentioning that, but then he came back and set the fastest lap of the race. Now, the do, the one thing I will say about this, I have said in the past, 
about Moto3 that I think occasionally the reason why you can have a pack as big as 22 riders at one point, you know, and I mean a pack meaning after like four laps of the race when things usually spread out, yeah. 22 riders is because there's so much drafting and passing at the front and all this kind of stuff happens. But then the track record for the race record keeps getting broken and broken and broken. The thing is, it's getting broken by normally somebody who's in fourth or fifth place or mo- yep. moving from sixth up to fifth. So the pace is 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 frantic, but I think that the deception sometimes is that they are their hair's on fire that they're breaking track records all over the place. It's not really the case right. because that person who's in fifth or sixth is getting a three, four bike, you know, draft and is able to get the thing slowed down because everybody else in front of them slowing down. You don't have a choice. But yeah. the racing is uh, is unreal. It's 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 so hard for me to watch because I'm just waiting for something absolutely nuts to happen. And I don't think that anything really crazy happened. I think that that you can really point to maybe Sasaki. You know, Sasaki was probably the person that that was probably the most guilty that didn't finish the race. But I think yep. the other incidences that we saw for the most part are just because close racing happens. You know, yep. if, if, if like Ortola, who unbelievable race for Ortola, you know, leads the race, all that kind of. I thought when 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 Ortola got into second place. I thought he got a little frazzled for a lap or two. It was kind yep. of like, yep. almost like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm here kind of thing. And I agree. in that particular case, I thought, well, now we're going to see a guy who's going to settle down. But then all of a sudden he goes for the lead and he got to lead for, I think, one full lap. He was out in the lead. Yeah. So he was, he was pulling, he was pulling everybody along and I thought he did a great job. But I think had you not had everybody that close, I think the Ortola incident is an isolated incident, right? Like I think well, he doesn't, he doesn't clean anybody out is what I'm saying. Because if you watch the, if you watch that replay, Guevara was literally on the left side of the track where no one else goes. And he was trying to just ride around the outside of everybody. And just give space. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a risk. Yeah. It's, it's yep. a risk. And unfortunately for Guevara, it, it, Guevara, it did not pan out. It didn't. Yeah, pan the, out the, the Sasaki thing was just blatant, like just, just creamed out Garcia. That was just and what, bad judgment. Like what yeah, are you doing? Just, man? I, I thought it was, I thought it was, funny because Garcia got up and Sasaki looked like he was knocked out, whether he was or not. He probably just didn't want to deal with Garcia's, you know, wrath. <laughs> no, and no. Then, he, and then, he, and then his and head then, hit did hard. You, he did he you flipped see, over. Did his... you see where they've got him? They're carrying him off on a stretcher and yeah. Garcia's like waddling his way behind him on the, on his bike. Like, like it was a funny shot anyways, but yeah, but anyways, like it's pretty wild because Dennis Anchu uh, or Dennis Faggio rather, Gains 25 points on those guys. He's still 42 points back in the championship. But it's another one of those kind of series where, you know, you're going to go to Austria in a week's time, week and a half, and it is going to be a shit fight at the front again. You're going to have 20 bikes again because that race always seems to have that same thing. Can't get away, can't break away. So it'll be interesting to see how that ends up going again. So MotoGP, G-Dub, it just never really disappoints. Again, we had maybe our most predictable Podium of the year, with the exception of Vinales squeezing himself in there, but you'd, you'd always think that Bagnai and Miller have shots at podiums. Um, but again, you know, Vinales does. He, I'll put you on the spot. Does he win a race this year? Yes, Maverick. Yeah. If if he continues the way he goes, my feeling is yes. What about you? I I'd have to agree with you. I think I think he showed a lot here, and it felt like you know, it felt to me like he does have the ability to win this you know, win a couple races. Um, 
And boy, just what like a- he like he was always a big flash, Jay. Right, like he would show up on the Yamaha and he would like dominate. Like he'd be gone eight seconds out to the lead, and then he'd be like fifteenth the next week. So I think that you know you could see a little bit of that, but I think he has the potential to win a race this year without question. Yep, yep. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. So we got. I don't think we have anything this next weekend, right? I think you said we have nothing. We have nothing. Um, so we have, I mean, motocross, AFT. By the way, J.D. Beach won Springfield while we were at Brainerd. So I, okay. we forgot to mention congratulations to J.D. Yeah. I mean, maybe we did, but um, love that. It was it was a pretty close race at the end. J.D. kept making mistakes in this one corner, and I was watching on the cell phone with Zemke, and we were just, like, yelling at the phone, like, J.D., why are you leaving the door open here? But he looked good. He won it. Um, we will preview Moto America pit race next week, too, Jay. That's okay. going to be good. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited gotta, about that. You know, I'm going to be... Wow. Next week is going to be an interesting time for us. So those that don't know, Greg is, and I've mentioned this before, Greg is, he always gets so mad at me because of, he hears every little noise that gets made. So if my door opens or there's a gardener, two doors down, Greg hears everything. So my boy, Troy up in Washington, he's got my, he's got my microphone and all that. Right. I told you, yeah, I didn't tell you your this headset yet. this whole time has this tick, by the way, it's oh, a yeah. random thing. It just it's, goes. It's, it's not, and I can't headset. edit it it's, out. It's it your drives brain. me absolutely crazy. It's in your brain. It's my it's brain. It's not my headset. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Troy calls me yesterday <laughs> and, and I better Troy, make a call. Yeah. Troy was, you know, Troy's had my microphone and he sent it, right? He sent it. So I'm sitting there thinking, I haven't really asked him for when? it or where it's at. So he calls me yesterday. He goes, you're not gonna believe what I did. I said, what'd you do? Yeah. I'm going to Boise this next Tuesday. Uh, wait, no Saturday. I'm leaving for Boise. He's up there. So I'm going up there to, for, for a thing. And, uh, he goes, the lady at his house goes, Hey, you got a package. You, you sent a package to the house. He sent my microphone and everything to his Boise house instead of sending it to me. So it'll be something for you to razz him about when you see him. So you're telling me that you're going to have yeah. your microphone for next week. It's going to be up. It's in Boise waiting for me. And you're going to Boise this week. Yeah, I leave Saturday. Or the next seven days. We're going to have to do the podcast. Saturday. We're probably going to have to do the podcast Wednesday up there. Next week. Okay. All right. Wednesday morning. And then I leave then Wednesday. You, so you fly I, straight from, from Boise to I go to, Boise to Pittsburgh. to Pittsburgh. So Saturday I fly to Boise. I then fly from Boise to Pittsburgh on Wednesday. And then yeah. on the Monday after Pittsburgh, I fly to Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. Yep. Meet up with mom. She's over in England. So I'm going to meet up with her over there. Going to take her to Ireland for a couple of days. Never been to Dublin. Stevie English no is on it. Dude, Stevie English is. I'll get Josh Heron to do the podcast with me again. Perfect. You did a good job. You did a good job last time. No. So, yeah. Will no you be worries. able to do the podcast from Scotland? Yeah, we'll start. We'll have a go. Figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I'm sure we will. You know, you I'll be able Steve? to. And I'll be able to take. I'll take the microphone and everything with me because I got a big old bag that I could do that with. So we'll, I'll be able okay. to take it with me. So, cool. yeah, and I'll be, and Stevie is like, it's so cool. He's just such a rad guy. He's like, hey, you, you get your mom over to Dublin and we'll get her sorted and we'll get a hotel in downtown and we'll, I'll show you around. I'm like, this guy's just a, yeah, it's just He's great. a legend, bro. He's a great dude, man. Such a I good know. dude. I'm trying to work, sort no matter, out how I go to Portimao in October to watch, you know. No matter what you say about guys. him. No matter what no matter you say what about I him. say about Steve English. Yeah, yeah, no matter what you say about him, he's a good dude. I don't care what I you say anymore. Steve. He knows yeah. you well enough to know you're full of poop. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, and if he, I yeah. like the, the World Superbike side of it. If you get to go to Portimao, like, dude, he's just he's 
Yeah, he just doesn't even think about. It's he's so like, easy. fly in here, and then he's like, fly in here. You can be, just be in my car all weekend long, and that way you don't have to rent a car. I'm like, dude, you're a freaking legend. Yeah, of course. well, I'm gonna warn him against that. I'm gonna just tell him straight up, he doesn't want that program. Be nothing but journey on the radio. Yeah, well, that and like Greg will be heading. All Greg will eat over there is McDonald's, probably. So it'd be great. Why there's no IHOPs or Burger King over there? <laughs> I've been to Europe, you dumb dumb. You're limited. You're limited. I definitely, I definitely tell you what I won't eat when I'm if I was over in Scotland is haggis. You can forget that. That is Uh, not my cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, Sheep stomach stuff with like barley and look, not no. Anyway, all right, enough. All right, can we let everybody stop listening to this podcast, please? Yeah. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to me and G Dub going to be a pretty quiet weekend as far as motorcycling goes, so hopefully you guys find something cool to do. Greg and I will be back at it with a pit race stuff going into, uh, what is it, round eight for us, G-Dub? Yep. Round eight. Round eight. eight. Wow. Three to go. Well, season's gone by pretty quick as it always seems to do, but everybody have a great week, great weekend. Talk to you soon. Later, bye. <laughs>